0: IBEC, the voice of Irish business.
1: And you are very welcome back to our IBEC Responds mini-series on COP27. In this episode, we are joined by Aidan Sweeney, IBEC Head of Enterprise and Regulatory Affairs, and Councillor Alison Gilliland, Dublin City Councillor and COP27 Delegate with the European Committee of the Region. Together, they discuss the involvement of cities and regions in the climate talks. Welcome to uh, Councillor Gilliland. You've just recently uh, finished a year as the 353rd Lord Mayor of Dublin City and you've also been busy with um, the Committee of the Regent. And we're just wondering, how does a councillor representing the Artane Whitehall Ward end up all the way in Egypt at the COP27 discussions?
0: Hi Aidan, and good question. Yes, I am an alternate member with a European Union Committee of the Regions, which basically uh, brings together representatives from local authorities, both cities, urban areas and regions across the 27 countries uh, in Brussels. It sits under the European Parliament and the European Parliament have a, a requirement to consult with local authorities when they are considering any new legislation or directives that impact on local authorities. So the body with which they consult is the European Committee of the Regions. So even though I'm an alternate, which means I'm a substitute member, I sit on the Civics Commission, which is a governance migration internal uh, matters But I was asked if I would consider leading on what we call an opinion, which is a a policy position with regard to the involvement of cities and regions in COP27 and any future COP. So I undertook that last February, as you say, in the middle of the Lord Mayor's term. And basically it followed working with an expert in climate and a team, consulting with various stakeholders across Europe. So that would be sort of Eurocities, for example, um, the local government and municipal authorities, Municipal Authorities for Sustainability, as well as other members of the core committee of the regions that would have worked or done some work in this previously. Uh, It then went to the Environmental Commission and was passed there and sent then to the plenary of the committee of the regions last month for approval. So it now is our policy position, and I suppose to to bring that policy forward and into practice, I am one of eight delegates from the Committee of the Regions going to COP27 this weekend for for the talk section next weekend, with the aim of persuading those sitting at the negotiating table. To include in that outcome document a commitment, not necessarily a seat at the table, but involvement in climate dialogues, whereby there is a structure there that the UNFCCC, the Conference of the Parties, will hear our views, our concerns, uh, and that they have a greater understanding of them. And so th- that's how I've come to be here and what I'll be doing when I'm over there.
1: But it is—it's very a uh, uh, good point that you, you, you've emphasised the, the the need to consult with with local and regional authorities. And it is amazing when you, you think about today's—you know—that the previous um, conferences didn't focus really on the local and the regional aspects. Yet the impact is happening on the ground. Um, the IBEC and our, our members are always talking about—you know—with with the local and regional authorities about how quality of life and the improvements. And it, you know it, it is really interesting to see that you you've you said that with your the opinion pieces that need for that structural engagement and that, yeah, that's it is. What-
0: Absolutely. If you look, and, and I'm talking generally here uh, across Europe, 70% of all climate mitigation measures and 90% of all climate adaptation measures are implemented by local authorities. In Dublin and in Ireland, we're slightly different because we, we very much have a weaker uh, local authority system whereby we don't have the, the, the transport competencies, the education, the health competencies that other uh, European local authorities have. but. Just even thinking of Dublin and you look at the cycle lanes that are being introduced at the moment, you look at how we're trying to transition to segregated litter bins on the street. All of that is implemented by Dublin City Council. So it's the local authorities on the ground. So we have that experience. And I suppose... We know the challenges and the opportunities when it comes to implementation. And this COP is very much about implementation. The other thing is, I suppose, from the perspective of the citizens in our cities, in our regions, they are very aware of their local authorities because there is that tangible connection with them. And as a local authority... We very much know our communities. We would know the demographic of our communities. Take, for example, where I am. we, We have some areas where there is quite an older demographic and sort of online technologies may not necessarily work for them when it comes to communicating climate. So local authorities tend to be a lot more responsive and agile when it comes to even designing adaptation and mitigation measures, as well as implementing them. And I think that's why our voices are really crucial because we can give a huge amount of detail that often is missing in that general uh, conversation. But also if we had that opportunity to, to be more involved, we could share and learn. Uh, So rather than reinventing the wheel, I know in Dublin, we have the fantastic smart Dublin that is working a lot with the Internet of Things and sensors to to support us when it comes to our flood defences and uh, flooding in, in general and also managing our litter and waste. We can share those with others, but there might be other cities or local authorities that have other great technology or ideas that they've tried and been successful in that we could take and adapt for Dublin. And that saves time and energy, which is, I suppose, kind of crucial when it comes to uh, reducing our carbon emissions.
1: Absolutely. And I think the the last few years has shown a lot on cities increasingly Collaborating and and learning from each other in the challenges faced by COVID, the challenges faced by particularly around housing, aging populations, and and in the Dublin situation, we're aging and getting younger at the same time. How do we make it work? Because the, the the key thing for in the opinion piece is to say it's not just backing up that that sort of to to involve subnational or or that um multilateral level of governance, but it's more how do you make it work in terms of funding. Because um, I know you've you've had a direct call on that as well.
0: Yeah, it, there's a few key elements in the paper that we've called for. One is that local authorities would have direct access to funding, and um, say, for example, in Dublin, Europe, that would be European Union funding. At the moment, for example, European funds such as the URDF, each country at a national level would make a submission. We at local level in turn would have made a submission to our national government uh, and in Dublin City Council's case, a very, very detailed submission on the projects that we are partially involved in at the moment and would like to scale up our new projects, such as the district heating scheme, a greenhouse building project over in Cherry Orchard, that we need funding for beyond above and beyond what we normally get with regard to grants for transport or housing uh, or energy in the city and at national level the money comes from Europe into the national coffers and then they decide which local authority gets how much and you know if you you take something for example as the district heating scheme which is an incredibly ambitious project whereby we would take waste heat and from the the waste uh, management system down in Poolbeg, and develop a heating system that would heat all those new houses we were going to build in Poolbeg, and the potential for more. We we really need a huge amount of money for that. But if we get, as we did, a small amount that allows us to do a little bit of research or a viability um, assessment on it, it doesn't really motivate it. And it's sort of your stop, start, stop, start. Whereas if we had a commitment, say, listen, we're going to fund this, we can then really escalate our plans in that area. So the direct funding piece is important. I'm not saying we can bypass nationally, but it just helps. And, of course, that is also really important for the global south, uh, where they and finance is the big, big issue for them and how we as the more developed nations can actually, you know, pony up with the money that has already been pledged and make future pledges, not just with hard cash, but also with investments and technologies. And for them, They may have, I think it's quite safe to say that there are some national governments that may not fund or deliver down the funding appropriately or as needed to local communities. Whereas if they could bypass all that, then they could partner uh, with a, a, a more structured funding system. And that would also mean that projects that have a real climate impact will get funded. Um, and that, that will make a big difference on the ground. One of the other things that we um, have established in the position paper is that we are advocating for what we call regionally and locally determined contributions. They would complement, complement our nationally determined contributions, basically climb targets for every local authority. And that will allow us to do our bit, but also that sort of transparency, monitoring and evaluation. And I, I would imagine that would also help the minister. Like if they're looking at the country as a whole and looking at the various local authorities, they can see where progress is really being made, others that need help, um, and sort of have, a, have a, a more detailed picture of what is going on and what is actually being realized on the ground. And then when it comes to global stock take. Uh, of implementation, you know, we can present a really detailed um, evaluation of that back to the UNFCCC.
1: Obviously, I, I think that that's very, very interesting because we've been working with yourselves and colleagues around, you know, at Dublin City Council getting that the European Programme Support Office around funding re-established. I think there's a great opportunity for to work as a partnership. You know, and particularly to come up with different ways of doing things because we don't have you know that the the same level of devolved powers as as other countries and and other local authorities would have. So one of the things I, I just ask you as a final question is, all going well, the local authorities and regions get you get that structural engagement, you get that ongoing commitment. Mm-hmm. How do we make sure that Ireland and particularly uh, for listeners that the our 31 local authorities are grouped into three regional assemblies, but when we have the five metropolitan city areas and um and other city councils on top of that, how do we make sure that they are connected internationally? And how do they, you know, what how active do what we need our local authorities and our regional assemblies to be?
0: I think we need to be more, more, much more active uh, at a European level. And you mentioned that the European Programmes Office in Dublin City, council that was a major achievement. Uh, But to think that we didn't have that, you know, is is very, very uh, concerning. Dublin uh, would in general be a member of Eurocities. And I know I, as Lord Mayor, would have attended uh, their AGM twice, actually, because just the way COVID fell. But... The fact that, you know, I've only done that once because the term is when you're if you had you need to have people there consistently so that they can really get to know who's who and collaborate, because I think collaboration and that sharing and learning is really, really important. Uh, with regard to, to, to the opinion, we're advocating that the European Committee of the Regions would be the body that would represent local and regional authorities within Europe. There's also the local government and municipal authorities, there's a local government for sustainability, there's Eurocities, and generally, if you go back to the beginning of our conversation when I was discussing how we put the opinion. Together, we would have consulted with all those stakeholders. So, I suppose it's a ground up and having your, your local authorities at an individual level, then at regional assembly level, European Committee of the Regions, linking in then to Eurocities, E clay, all those other covenant mayors, you know, and, and having that collective voice working together. And funneling it into one representative body that will be that link with the UNFCCC and at that uh, di- in that structure for inclusion and climate dialogue. Well,
1: well that's excellent, and we wish you well with your your your, your trip to Egypt uh, and to be uh, voicing this at, at, at COP27. Uh, Councillor Gilliland, thank you so much.
0: Thank you so much, Aidan.
1: Thank you for listening to this episode of IBEC Response. Make sure to stay tuned for further episodes on COP27 over the coming weeks.
0: IBEC, the voice of Irish business.